Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you know that I, I do enjoy preaching? It's, um, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I'm not going to so much preach to you this series as I'm going to teach. There's going to be some preaching moments. But how many know there's a difference between preaching and teaching? And, uh, and I feel like we just need to go through a season where we're not preached to, but we're taught. And so get out your number two pencils because class is in session. In order to truly understand the function of something and how it works, how many know you have to go back to the beginning? You have to go back to the beginning. So we're going to start a new series today. I'm going to be in the book of Acts. And if I'm entitling the series, it's God's plan for the church. That's what the book of Acts is. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can look on the screen. All of my notes I sent to the team and they put all of my notes on the screen. So uh, everything that is in front of me will be on the screen as well so you can see, see it. So Acts chapter 1. We are starting the series in the book of Acts. It's going to take us a while, okay? It's not, it's not going to be three weeks and we're done. I'm going to spend months on this. So strap in your seatbelt. The book of Acts provides a picture of the establishment of the early church. It's, it's how the church started. If, if we are a church, we need to know what God intended for the church to be how God intended for the church to function, the tools and the resources that were provided to the church and what to do with them. So the book of Acts is going to detail to us all kinds of things. It's going to detail to us the devotion of the early church to scriptures. It's going to detail to us their devotion to prayer, their devotion to each other and community. That sounds like some good things to learn about, right? Prayer and scripture and community. It's going to talk to us about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are vital in a church that if, 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 if we get this right, if we become a church of prayer and scripture reading and the Holy Ghost and touching our community, how many know we're going to be cooking with gas? Okay, that's what the book of Acts is. It talks about their devotion to giving and generosity, taking care of one another, doing life together, repentance. The first sermon is preached in the book of Acts, and you know what was preached? Repent. We also see, though, persecution. And we see opposition. We see ups and downs, but we see for the first time the spread of the gospel as well. And over the course of this series, we're going to read every verse in the book of Acts. Every single verse. So I'm going to give you homework each week. We're going to be in a, in a chapter. You can read that chapter. We're going to be in chapter one for at least two weeks. You can go home, read Acts chapter one every day. It's going to get, be your, your homework. We're going to do our best to dissect every verse. But if there is a foundational verse, if there's an, a verse that is the epicenter of the book of Acts, I want to read it to you. We're going to read a few more, but I just want to read it to you. Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be, can I get a witness in the house? Unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. When it comes 
to being an individual Christian, when it comes to being the corporate body of Christ, here is God's plan, that you receive power from the Holy Ghost so that you shall become something in order that you may do something. I'll say it again. God's plan for you and for me is that we will receive power from the Holy Spirit so that we shall become something in order that we may do something. And that's what I want to impact this morning. If I can title this morning, I simply want to entitle it, Getting Back on Mission. Getting Back on Mission. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the reading of your word. God, it's your word that changes us. It's your word that transforms us. Not my word, not my thoughts, for your, your word declares that your thoughts are higher than mine, your ways are higher than mine. God, let these people not hear my thoughts or words today, but let them hear the word of God. Hide me behind your cross. And Lord, my prayer today is may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Getting back on mission. My goal today is to teach you. My goal today is to pretty much just introduce to you the book of Acts. Today is going to be an introduction. By the way, the book of Acts has, has 28 chapters. It was written by a man named Luke. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in just a moment. In these 28 chapters, there's 1,007 verses. I'm going to cover 11 today. That's less than 1%. I told one of our staff this morning, he goes, man, at this pace, we're going to be in this, this book for two years. I say, we may be. Are you ready? Okay, just because I'm teaching doesn't mean you can't amen, okay? Are you ready? Here's the question I want to ask you today. When it comes to assembling things together, anybody, you, you assemble stuff? Your wife bought you, you know, bought a table from Ikea. I mean, no, I'm talking, she, she bought something and she just left the box for you and says, I need you to. Okay, how many have put something together before? If you're a parent, We've put a lot of things together. Here's my question. When it comes to assembling things, are you a read the instructions type of person? Or are you a just figure it out person? All the, all the uh, read the instructions people, yeah, we, we, you're the people that I trust. <laughs> Everybody else like me, I'm, I'm a wing it. How many wing it people? We wing it. We're going to figure this thing out. I watch enough episodes of MacGyver to know I can fix anything with some duct tape and a toothpick. Last hunting season, uh, something very exciting happened. I bought a new ladder stand. If you don't know what a ladder stand is, it's something you climb up into a tree so you can shoot stuff. All the hunters said, amen. And so uh, this, I was looking for a new ladder stand, and uh, Kevin, Kevin, where are you? Kevin's right back there. Kev, Kevin sent me a picture of a sale that was happening at Field and Stream in Lafayette. And it was a great sale. The price on this ladder stand was amazing. So I actually left work early to go to Field and Stream to buy this ladder stand. And I get there. Y'all have got one left. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I got the last one on sale. That's good. How many know the last one on sale, you feel like you accomplished something? And so uh, I buy this ladder stand and um, it's in a box. It's, uh, the box is about five feet long and it's about 200 pounds and it's going to turn into a 17 foot deer stand. I'm going to put it up in a tree. So I called Kevin. I said, hey, man, what are you doing tomorrow? 
He said, that depends on you buying lunch. I said, yes, I'll buy your lunch if you come help me put this ladder stand together. So, you know, you, you don't put a ladder stand together at your house because you got to transport it. It's got a 17-inch ladder on or 17-foot ladder on it. So we, we take the box to where we're going to hunt. So we're out near the woods. And then you start, you know, you, you, you open the box like we do. And you open the box and, and, and the, the parts, are, you know, they're everywhere. And you're like, oh, there's the seat and there's the safety harness and there's the bars and there's the the ladder and there's 248 bolts and screws and, and washers. And then we get all this stuff out. And then I look at Kevin, I said, where's the instructions? There wasn't any. And so um, we got a decision to make. Do we take all of the parts, the 248 bolts and screws and nuts, put them back into a box and take them back to the store that doesn't have any more ladder stands, or do we just wing it? You got two wingers here. I don't know who the wingman is. I don't know if I'm Kevin's wingman or he's my wingman, but you know what we said? We gonna wing this. Y'all, it took us 18 days. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it was about six hours to build this ladder stand and we build the ladder stand and then it's done, it's complete. Except I look down and there's six more bolts. And I looked at Kevin and he looked at me, he said, extra. <laughs> when it comes to God's plan for the church and Christian living, God never intended for us to wing it or just figure it out. In fact, he has detailed instructions. He has a model for us to follow when building a church in a community. It's called the book of Acts. And if we don't follow the model and we don't follow the manual, we might find ourselves with some leftover pieces and say, what do we do with this? God never intended us to have extra. If it's in the scripture, we need to use it. Are you tracking with me? The book of Acts is God's detailed plan for his church. So here's my question. Here's where we have to be honest. When God gave us the manual for the church, the book of Acts, when he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. When God defined the organization of church, is this what he had in mind? It's a tough question. Did he have in mind big buildings with LED walls and big screens and stadium seating and theater seats and coffee shops? Did he have in mind three songs and a 30-minute message and a way for people to feel better about themselves as preachers give four steps to a better life and we won't see you again till next Sunday? Is this what God really had in mind? What did God have in mind? I, I believe the book of Acts is really going to outline what he had in mind. By the way, the book of Acts is an amazing book. It details the spread of the gospel. From starting in Jerusalem, just a handful of people all the way to Rome. By the way, by the time the book of Acts was written, the Roman Empire had conquered and controlled the entire Mediterranean world and had extended its reach as far as Great Britain and North Africa and parts of Asia. 
Rome at this point in history was an economic and political powerhouse. It was the cultural epicenter of the world. Rome was primarily known for three things at this point. Number one, they were polytheistic, which means they had many, many gods. They, it was mythology. They had Roman gods that they would worship. There were many ways uh, to become a better individual. There were many ways to grant you access into the afterlife. That, they, were, they were known for being polytheistic. They were known for their sexual perversion. From Caesar Nero to, to all the different leaders to the cultural uh, context of, of sexualism. And, and then number three, they also had a hostile government. So Rome was overtaxed, it was oversexed, and it was overstimulated. Culture today in America is becoming more and more like first century Rome. We are overtaxed, oversexed, and overstimulated in everything. Just like Rome, there's a million ways to get to God. Just find the path that works for you. We don't want to offend anybody. Your truth is the truth. It doesn't matter what the Word of God says. Whatever you feel is true is true. Whatever you feel about yourself is true. Self-define yourself. We become polytheistic. Just like Rome, sexuality and sexual perversion is at the height, isn't it? We now define ourselves. No longer the number one question is not what's your race. We now identify ourselves by sexual orientation. We're coming more and more sexually perverted, whether it was heterosexual or homosexual, it doesn't matter. We, we are seeing sexualism, and, and, and it's the way that people identify ourselves. Our culture is, is hedonistic, we're immoral, we're perverse, and, and it's certainly, I believe, in my, my day, in, in my time on earth, short time on earth, it's the most toxic political climate of my lifetime. We're, we're just like Rome. And, and one of the main reasons I want to teach through the book of Acts is because the more the world becomes like Rome, the more the church has to become like Acts. That's why we're doing this. So understand that after the death of Christ, he ascended, he came back to earth. We're going to talk about that. He, he spent a few days here. The book of Acts, after the resurrection of Christ, him ascending back into heaven, the book of Acts is God's answer to a morally decaying world. He's going to spread his gospel, the good news, by using his church. But in order for his gospel to spread, the disciples had to stretch. That hasn't changed. In 2,000 years, that has not changed. How many of you understand that God wants to spread his gospel and his purpose and his love all over St. Landry Parish? God wants to spread his gospel and his purpose and his love all over your workplace. God wants to spread his gospel and his purpose and his love all over your family. But in order for God's purpose to spread, his people must be willing to stretch. Are you willing to stretch, OSC? Listen to me. It's not a church if we just do it for us. It's a country club. If we're going to be the church, the church must learn to stretch. Are you with me? I, I've been trying to teach my kids that the only time this building is the church is when we're in it. Every other day is just a building. How many of you understand that the church is not a building? God never intended for his church to be a building. The church has never been a building. God has always intended his church to be his people. The church is not the building. The church is his people. I could say it better this way. We don't go to church. We are the church. 
Are you tracking with me? In fact, do you know this? People didn't publicly gather like this in a sanctuary until 300 and something years after the death of Christ. In, in the fourth century, Constantine, the Roman emperor, passed a law legalizing Christianity and Christians meeting together in a public place. Before that, people could gather, they just couldn't gather publicly. When, when, when Paul said, do not forsake the assembling together, he wasn't talking about coming to church. He was talking about Christians doing life together every single day, not on a, not on a Sunday. So in the fourth century, Constantine passed this law, and, and, and because before that, they would get persecuted for it. Why am I saying that? Because the church was never about the building. The church was always about the people. And if the only time we are the church is when we physically gather on a Sunday, then we've gotten it all wrong. Listen to me. Write this down. Sundays are for strengthening. Monday through Saturday is for stretching. How many of you know if you're in the gym, you can't get strengthened unless you stretch? That's why you're here today. You're here to get strengthened so you can go out and stretch and spread the word of God. So here's my question. This is still my introduction. If God's intent was never a building, if God's intent was always to go, if God's intent was always to stretch, then why does the American church spend so much time, energy, creativity, money, and resources trying to get people who don't know Jesus to come to, come to a place they know nothing about? Come see us. Come to our church. Let me give you two lines of thinking when it comes to churches today. These are two methods of operation. Let me just say that I believe all churches have components of both of these. But each individual church is going to favor one over the other. We have components of both. Both have some strengths. Both have some weaknesses. We have components of both. But my prayer is that we continue to shift and lean heavily more on one than they do the other. When it comes to the operation and methodology of churches, I believe that every church in America falls into one of these two categories. I'm going to put them on the screen. It's either the attractional church or missional church. Everybody say attractional. Everybody say missional. Let's take a moment. Let's look at the attractional church. What is the attractional church? The attractional church seeks to gain members and congregants by attracting people to them. Okay? Are you tracking with me? It seeks to reach out to culture and draw in unchurched people to their church by using events, marketing, strategies, what am I saying? The, the target person, here's the good side, the target person is always the unchurched. The attractional church uh, has a heart for the lost. So they're going to do things to attract the lost. They're going to throw out the bait. By the way, if you're in a church, something attracted you there. If you're here today, something attracted you 
here, I, I, you can, what was it? I don't know. Maybe it was a, a friend or a relationship and you were, you were comfortable coming with that friend, that friend, because of that friendship, because of that relationship, you came with someone, it attracted you here. Maybe you heard we had good worship. Do y'all appreciate the worship team and the great job that Vic does with the team? Maybe you said, man, they got good music. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you said, I heard they got a good looking preacher. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, no, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Maybe, maybe you're, maybe you have heard they have good gospel preaching and they preach the gospel. In fact, I hope it's for all those reasons. But when we say attractional church, what do we mean? In the last 20 years, churches have done their best to attract people to church by making the church itself as attractive as possible. So we've built nice buildings. We've had manicured parking lots outlined with strategies and signage and marketing. We have inviting auditoriums. We don't even call them sanctuaries anymore because we don't want it to sound too churchy. So we've had large auditoriums complete with LED walls and huge screens and smoke machines during worship and lights and kids ministry that looks like six flags over Jesus. None of those things in and of, them, of themselves are bad things. In fact, there are many positive things about the attractional church because the attractional church targets people who typically wouldn't come to church because of preconceived ideas and notions that they've already set up in their mind of what church is. So the attractional church has done a good job of getting people in. And listen to me. Millions of people have heard the gospel because of the attractional church. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, have come to know Jesus because of the attractional church. They've heard the gospel. They've come. They've gotten connected and God's gotten the glory. And I think there should always be in a component of attractionalism in any church. I think people should want to come to our church. Here's the problem, though, if we're only attractional. What you win people with is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let, let, me, let, me, let me look at what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said this, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to, you didn't come to me, I came to you. I did not come, look at what he says, I did not come with eloquence, eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to in weakness. We go to people in weakness. We don't expect people to come to us in weakness. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul says, do you know how I came to you? You know how I won you, church at Corinth? He's saying, I didn't win you with wisdom human wisdom or eloquence. I didn't win you with wise or persuasive words or slick speech. Why is this so important for Paul to say this? Because if Paul won them over with eloquent 
I can't even say it, I'm so uneloquent. <laughs> Elegant words, then they could have been persuaded when somebody came along with bigger words. Paul said, if I would have won you over with human wisdom or smarts, all it would have taken was somebody who was smarter than me to come along and convince you otherwise. Why am I saying that? Because if all the church does is win people by attracting them, uh-huh, you're going to have to keep producing gimmicks to keep them entertained or they will leave. How exhausting is that? Entertaining people. If I wanted to be an entertainer, y'all would have been a boy band, not a preacher. Or a game show host. That was my, that's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. Y'all know that? I know every move to bye, bye, bye. All right. Paul said, you know how I won you over? I preach Christ crucified. I preach the gospel. I preach Jesus. Why? Because what you win people to, what you win people with is what you win them to. Our aim is to win people to Jesus, not the church. Why is that so important? If we win them with the church, you know what they're connected to? The church, oh man. Oh, you should see the screen over there. Oh, you should hear the preaching. What happens when the preaching ain't like to your flavor? What happens when the worship ain't your style? Oh, it'll attract you here, but listen to me. What attracts you can't keep you. You don't believe me? You, you got with your husband because he got six-pack. But then all of a sudden, gravity kicked in. What attracted to you can't keep him. Yes, it attracts you, but there better be some substance in his soul beyond that six-pack because what attracts you can't keep you. We can attract people here, but there better be some substance in the house. I know I said I wasn't going to preach. And here is the harsh reality. Listen to me. In spite of all of our mega churches and cool services, America is becoming less and less Christian every single day. Oh, but we're so attractional. Why wouldn't they want to come? For the first time, the Gallup poll has been around 80 years. For the first time in Gallup poll history, America is now less than 50% Christian. Why? Because instead of making disciples who go and tell, we have created spectators who come and sit. Listen to me. We all got to check ourselves. And in some cases, we've been more interested in entertaining the lost than equipping the found. I'm preaching to us. How many of you want to reach our community? Opelousas needs a touch from Jesus. St. Landry Parish needs a touch from Jesus. But we will never reach our community by being an attractional church. The only way we will reach them is by being missional. We have to stay on mission. Everybody say missional. How do we become more missional? What is the mission? Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Here it is. Acts 1-8. 
but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost is to come upon you and you shall be mm -hmm, unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the power that God gives us to enact the plan that he has already given us. What is the plan? Look at the connection in verse 8 with the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28. By the way, this is called the Great Commission. Everybody say the Great Commission. This is God's plan. Matthew 28 is God's plan for every believer. This is the go-to play. This is what we should be doing. It's called the Great Commission. By the way, Barna Research in 2018, Barna Research is a Christian uh, organizational uh, survey group, surveyed one, uh, churchgoers. And of the 100% they surveyed, uh, 51% of self-identifying Christians had never even heard of Matthew 28. They have never even heard of the Great Commission. Okay, on top of that, 30, another 31% heard of it, but they didn't even know what it meant. This is God's game plan for me and for you. And 82% of the 47% who still claim to be Christians have never even heard of it. That means only 9% of the people in America even know this. That doesn't even mean they're doing it. Here is the Great Commission. If I say Great Commission, Great Commission, I want to make sure we're not part of the 82%. The Great Commission, here it is, Jesus' last words to me and you, therefore go and make disciples. Notice it doesn't say bring them to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. God's goal is not church membership. I'm not going to get them to come. No, no, no. It's for us to go and make people who now obey what we obey. Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded to you. People ask me all the time. I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm, I'm called to do. You know, I don't know what my ministry is. Like, I, I don't know if I want to start a flag ministry or a dance ministry. Or Let me help you out. Here it is. Put it up one more time. Here's what you're supposed to do. Go and make disciples. If you are in this room, you have a mandate from Jesus to go into your community and make what you already are. You have a mandate to go and be a witness. I was telling somebody this a, a, a long time ago, and they said, well, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. I was like, what do you mean? He said, I believe that my faith is private. It's for me. And I said, that's the most anti-biblical statement I have ever heard. If God has been good to you, wouldn't you want to share his goodness with somebody else? You do it all the time. You get on Facebook. Girl, you got to check out this new restaurant. They got the best crab cakes. If you're going to tell somebody about good crab cakes, don't you think we ought to witness to the goodness and the faithfulness of God who sets you free from the law of sin and death? Okay. What am I saying? For our church, the mission should never be to come and see. The mission should always be to go and tell. Always. And if all we do is live for people to come and see, then let me just go ahead and help you out. Then I'm not a pastor. I'm a performer. And if I'm a performer, then you're a spectator. 
and the gospel's not the gospel anymore. It's a self-help tape. And I don't see none of that stuff in the Bible. If we want people to come to church, then we must take church to the people. Why? Because a successful church, you know, there's all these different uh, uh, articles about successful churches and what makes churches successful. And you know what the people ask me all the time when I tell them I'm a pastor, I'm part of this organization. You know what people tell me? How big is the church? You're defining my success by how many people come because I attracted them? A successful church should not be about how many people we can cram in a building. It should be about how many people we can send out of this building into Opelousas. We got to get back on mission. You with me? Okay. Let's go. Now, now, now I'm going to start dissecting the scripture. That was still my introduction. I got about 16 minutes left. I'm going to try to get all this done. Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, Acts was written by a man named Luke. Everybody say Luke. He completed it around 62 AD. So this is 30 years after the death of Christ. And here it is, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We only have 1,006 verses left after this one. Here he goes. This is how he starts. In my former book, Theopolis. Let's just stop right there. Luke addresses a man named Theopolis. Theopolis is probably a high-ranking Roman official that Luke befriended. By the way, I love the name Theopolis. Uh, it, it's a biblical name. There's probably two names. If you're having a baby boy in here, uh, Theopolis is a great name. There's, there's probably two names biblically that people don't name their kids. Uh, one is Theopolis, the other is Judas. I don't know. But, but the name Theopolis means lover of God. Theo means God. Phil is love. It's the lover of God. So if you have a baby boy, you can call him Theopolis. You can call him Theo. You can call him Phil. You can call him us. I don't know. (laughs) But he says this. He says, in my former book, Luke wrote a former book. Anybody know what it's called? It's called Luke. I was thinking about that one time. Somebody's like, man, you should write a book. I was like, I'm going to write a book. They're like, what are you going to call it? I was like, I'm going to call it Nick. <laughs> I, I really am not going to do that. Let's go back to Luke's former book to understand who Luke is writing to and why he's writing it. So let's go to Luke chapter 1, the former book, and this is what it says. Inasmuch as many have undertaken, watch this, to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. That's why he's writing the book. Just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past. Watch this. This is why he's writing it. This is how he's going to write it. To write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theopolis. He's writing to Theopolis, the first book. He's writing to Theopolis, the second book. Why did he do this? That you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So Luke writes the first book to Theopolis. It's called the book of Luke. He writes the second book to Theopolis. It's called the book of Acts. Write this down. The book of Acts is all is simply a continuation of the gospel of Luke. You can read the, you can read the book of Luke. And then when you get to the end of the book of Luke, just pick up In Acts chapter 1, it's a continuation of the book of Luke. By the way, Luke was not a disciple. Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. That's not who he was. We know from the book of Colossians, does anybody know what Luke was? 
He was a doctor. He was a physician. He, he, he probably would have worked at Opelousas General. I mean, the guy was, was spectacular. He was very well educated. Why am I saying that? Because he writes both Luke and Acts in a very sophisticated style of text of the Greek language. I'm saying that because Luke, as a good doctor, just doesn't throw a bunch of information together. A good doctor carefully puts the materials together in a very careful manner. There's nothing written uh, that is incidental or accidental. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by Luke. Okay. Luke is going to teach us about the church, the Holy Spirit, the church's mission, community, discipleship, prayer. He's teaching us all these things, important ingredients, right? Guess where Luke starts? Go back with me. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote all about he starts with Jesus. I wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, he's starting with Jesus. He's telling us about Jesus' sufferings. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. When Luke wants to tell us everything about a successful church and how a successful church should run and what we should do as believers, Luke starts with Jesus. Why am I saying that? Because most of our problems start not when we quit coming to church. Most of our problems start when we take our eyes off of Jesus. You can come to church and still not have your eyes on Jesus. You, you can be around all these other Christians and still not have your eyes on Jesus. You can be all up in Christianity and not even be a Christian. That's called religion. Look, look what Jesus said about some of these people who were all around church but didn't have him in his life. He says, you hypocrites, Matthew 15. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their, but their hearts are far from me. They knew the songs to sing. They knew the prayers to pray. They knew when to amen, Pastor Nick. They knew to stand at the door and say, bless God. I'm too Blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. Come on into the house of the Lord. And he says, they worship me in vain. Do we honor Jesus with just our lips? Or do we worship him with our hearts too? The first question I want to ask, I'm going to ask you two questions the next 12 minutes and you can go home. The first question I want to ask you today is, is Jesus the main attraction in your life? Why are you here? Why are we here? Are we attracted to a community? Are we attracted to people? You ain't got nothing else to do on Sunday morning? Why, why are we here? Are, are, are we here because... It's our religious obligation? Are we here just to give him lip service? Or is Jesus the main attraction? If we don't get that one right, nothing else matters. Are we attracted to Jesus first? Are we madly, deeply, fiercely in love with God's only son? 
Who are we looking at? I love how Paul says it. Therefore, since we have all such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking, yeah, you better put that only in there. Looking only at Jesus. Because a lot of us will be attracted to Jesus. We're just attracted to a lot of other stuff too. Looking only at Jesus, the original and perfecter of the faith. What, am I, what is my question? Is Jesus really our primary focus? That's what the book of Acts is about. It starts with Jesus. Is Jesus isn't the primary focus of everything that we do. We've missed it. Is Jesus the object of our affection? Remember the Pharisees came to see Jesus and they asked him the question. They said, uh, Jesus, what, what's the best thing that we can do as, 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 as religious people? They said, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick Jesus because they, they, they knew that Mosaic law, there was only 10 commandments. And then they're asking Jesus, what's the greatest of those moral laws that Jews keep? Which one's the greatest? Here's what Jesus said. He said it in Matthew 22. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. The most important thing that you can do, the greatest commandment that you can keep is to fall so passionately in love with Jesus, to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, that even when COVID happens and we don't meet as a church, you're still connected to the church in his body. And people ask me all the time, like, why haven't the church come back? Why is 60% of our people still not here? And yes, there, there's some legitimate health concerns. And I know people that have compromised immune systems, and, but it ain't 60%. How do I know that? Because I see them at Walmart. <laughs> but if all we did was attract them to a building... Okay, I'm going on. Matthew 6 says it this way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his. Do we seek him first? Do we seek his righteousness first? Do we seek his holiness first? I, I know we all seek him. That's why you're here today. But do we seek him? Is he the center? So let me ask you again. Is Jesus the main attraction in her life? Is he the Lord of all? Are you madly, deeply in love with him? If not, we have to repent, turn to him, and seek him first. Repent, turn to him, and seek him first. Repent, turn to him, and seek him first. Now, if Jesus is the main attraction in our lives, the second question is, are we attracting others to Jesus? Y'all know how many gospels there are? Somebody said it, five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And people are going to read you way before they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Watch this. In the book of Luke, Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach. But in the book of Acts, Luke tells us what Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles and the early church. That's why it's called the book of Acts. It's the Acts, action 
of the apostles. Why? Because faith without works is dead. We have something to do. Once we receive this gift of grace, we have something to do with it. I'm not saved by works, but if God saved me and I believe it, then I'm going to do something with it. It's the acts of the apostles. By the word, the apostle means this. It means messenger or sent one. That is the assignment that Jesus gives every single one of us. That he would send us. We would be the sent ones. We would be the messengers to go into this broken world that we would attract people to Jesus by the good news of the gospel. Listen to me. We are not called to sit in a seat on Sunday and amen the preacher and sing our favorite songs. We are called to go into Opelousas and Sunset and Washington and Plaisance and Ville Platte and every highway and byway and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. To lead people to Jesus. And let me say this with all sincerity. Quit telling people how good your church is. Tell them how good your God is. Tell them how good Jesus is. I heard somebody say one time, come to OSC, it's the perfect church. It's like, please don't ever say that again. Why? Because the second one person walks in here, it's not perfect anymore. Let's point people to the only perfect one. His name is, I'm closing, Vic, help me out. I still got seven verses to get through. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1, excuse me, 4 through 8, Jesus gets the apostles, the disciples in a huddle, and he's begin to give them the play to run. And here's what Luke tells us. It says in verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But he says, wait for the promise of the Father. How many of you appreciate when people make promises to you? I don't. I appreciate when people keep promises that they made to me. I promise I'm going to be there. Thank you for being there. God made a promise to his church. Jesus tells them to wait for the promise. He says, wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard me say for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's going to be the day of Pentecost. We're going to celebrate this about five weeks from now. We're going to jump into what the Holy Spirit meant for the first century church, for the apostles, what he means for us. There's many camps. Some is the cessation camp, which means the Holy Spirit was only for the first century church. Some are from the camp of continuationism, which means it stayed. I'm going to dissect that from Scripture. But we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's role in our life. He's telling disciples, I'm about to give you some tough things to do, a tough task. But the good news is you're not going to have to do this alone. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And it says, so when they came together, he, they asked him, Lord, at this time, Will you restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's the promise. Remember the plan. The plan is Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. But you got to have the power with the plan. Here's the power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're going to hit all this in Acts chapter 2. 
Jesus tells them you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses. Can I get a witness? Watch this. Too many people have become witnesses in here instead of witnesses out there. Church isn't church till we take it out there. He's saying, in other words, when the Spirit comes on you, you will be empowered with a boldness to go and declare what you would normally be scared to do. And then he says this, you're going to start where? He says, first, you're going to start in Jerusalem. Do you know what Jerusalem is? It's local. It does us no good to take 4,000 mission trips. I love mission trips. We're going to continue to take them. But if we don't realize God's given us a mission field called St. Landry Parish, it's got to start here. Start here. Second in Judea, Judea and Samaria. That, that, that's regionally. That's spreading out. And then to the ends of the earth. It's got to start locally. Our Savior's church isn't our Savior's church until we leave this room and take it to Opelousas, to your workplace, to your family. And guess who God's going to use to do that? Don't say me. Yeah, you. Do you know why I'm a pastor? Ephesians says it really clear. It says, God gave some to be apostles, pastors, teachers, missionaries. He names a fivefold missionary. For what? To preach to you? No, no, no. To equip the saints to go and do good works. The reason I preach to you is not so you feel better about yourself. The reason I preach to you is for the strengthening so you can go and stretch. Are you tracking with me? Okay. The way we've been praying, haven't we, for, for harvest. Y'all know there's a time to plant. There's a time to water. You know, there's harvest time too. And our team, our leaders, our elders, our staff, we've been praying for the harvest. That means when all the work is done, that there's a harvest of souls, your family and friends, they can't help themselves. It's, I need Jesus. It's, it's a harvest. The Bible talks about harvest. You know what the Bible says? It says the, the harvest is plentiful, but the preachers are few. Is that what it says? It says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, you know what a labor is? It's those who are sent out. Let me tell you why this is so important. I'm closing, I promise. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and I'm closing with this. And when he had said all these things about them going out, here's why he said for them to go out and be my witnesses. When he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up. He goes back into the clouds. He ascends. And a cloud took him out of her sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes. Okay, these are angels. And they said to them, men of Galilee, I'm going to change it. Our Savior's church, why do you stand looking into heaven? The Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, watch this will come in the same way as you saw him go. What am I saying? 
Why is this mandate so important? Y'all, because he's coming back. He is coming back. He's going to crack that eastern sky. He's coming back for his church. We are called the bride of Christ. He's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. He's coming back for a church that is madly, deeply in love with him. He's coming back. That's why my question is, do you know him? If you don't know him, he's not coming back for you. Do you know him? And the second question is, are you telling others about him? If he's coming back, what are we doing about it? I heard a story one time. This guy told me, he said, I want you to think about every person that you love. And I started thinking about all of them. He said, now, how many of them don't know Jesus? And I started naming all the ones that didn't know Jesus. And he said, can you imagine living with no memory of that person? I said, no. He said, do you know that when you get to heaven, the Bible says that there will be no more pain or sorrow that you will not shed a tear? He goes, theologically, the only way for that to make sense to me is that if I got to heaven and they didn't, that means I wouldn't remember who they are because if I remembered who they are and they weren't here, that means I would know that they were in hell and I would be weeping over them. And there, are no, there is no weeping in heaven. And he said, he said to me, every person that you just named, you better weep over now and go and get them. Yo, my mind was blown. Number one, do you know him? And number two, are we telling people about him? With every head bowed and every eye closed, it's the first question I want to ask. Do you really know him? Is he the main attraction in your life? Is he the reason why you're here? Is he the reason why you worship? Is he the reason why you sing? Is he the reason why you breathe? Is he the, the reason why you live? If the answer is no, I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Raise it very high. Raise it very, very high. Thank you. Thank you. Church, we're going to pray out loud. Just a prayer of repentance. And maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. But if you, if you would say, Pastor, there's other areas of my life that I made the main attraction and not Jesus. Would you say this with me? Dear Jesus, I repent. I turn away. I turn to you. Become the main attraction in my life. I lay my sins at your feet. I lay my guilt at your feet. I lay my shame at your feet. And I come to you. Now change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. And secondly, I think we can all do better at this. Are we telling others about him? Are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we his witnesses? When people read our lives, what are they reading? I got to do a better job. That's the mission. That's the mission. I'm so excited, y'all, during this series, we're going to equip you. We're going to send you out. We're going to have outreaches. We're going to get back in the community. We're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to do all these things. But it starts with our heart. You know what we got to say? Here I am. Send me. 
I said that at an altar 23 years ago. That's why I'm preaching today. I said, God, here I am. Send me. And if you're willing to say that for your city, for your community, whatever community that is, for your workplace, for your family, if you're willing to say, here I am, send me. I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And that's how we're going to end. And I'm going to pray for you. Then you can go. Here I am. Send me. Now watch this. We just shifted the paradigm from attractional church to missional church. Watch this. Now we're a successful church. Not because 1,500 people are going to be here today. Because we're going to send 1,500 people out who said, here I am. Send me. Father, today for every person that's physically standing, God, they're declaring, here I am. Send me. Send them, Lord. God, send them into the highways and the byways. Send them into their workplace. Send them into St. Landry Parish. Send them into their neighborhoods. Send them into the ballpark. Send them into the school system. Send them, Lord. Here we are. Lord, we love our community. Send us. We are the priests and prophets to this community. Send us in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you shout amen one last time?